All right. Well, welcome to uh, Amateur Radio Roundtable. This show is about ham radio, amateur radio, uh, shortwave listening. And uh, we want to welcome you to our show tonight. If you're listening out there on uh, world-famous WBCQ shortwave on 7490, we'd like to uh, invite you. Send us an email and let us know where you are and how you're hearing the station. We're relatively low power, about 50,000 watts, coming to you from uh, Monticello, Maine right now. Probably a lot of snow up here on the antenna, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, send, us, uh, send us an email if you would, tom at w5kub.com. Uh, uh, also, we'd like for you to uh, hey, uh, join our show on Tuesday nights. Our live video show is actually Tuesday nights from 8 uh, at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time uh, at w5kub.com, w5kub.com. We have a, a chat room. You can chat directly with us there. And, uh, that's Tuesday night. But if you're listening on shortwave, we're actually, this show is actually being broadcast on Thursday, uh, afternoons, uh, between five and 7 PM Eastern time on 7490. 
So I guess, uh, hey, for all you guys out there, uh, let's see, listening or watching, I guess I should have put that up there. There's WBCQ 7490. Look at that great antenna they got out there. And I'm sure that's the kind of the weather they're having right now. Hey, we're on every podcast out there from uh, iNet Radio, uh, Google Play, iTunes. You can find us. Uh, I like, I'd like to hear from you guys that just download or just listen to our audio out there. Shoot me an email, tom at w5kub.com. And let's see, what else was there? Oh, okay. Uh, we've got a great uh, Facebook group that follows this channel, this, uh, this show. Amateur Radio Roundtable, but you can find it on Facebook. Just type in W5KUB, and uh, we'll uh, we'll approve your membership almost immediately. And if you will, um, join that group. It's W5KUB on Facebook. We've got over 14,000 people there. I forgot to tell you, please subscribe. Subscribe there. Hit that subscribe button down here on your video. We'd love to have you hit that, and uh, that helps us out a whole lot there. All right, so we got a lot going on tonight. Uh, but half the staff is gone tonight. Uh, they're either they're either at uh, ham Christmas parties, uh, government civic meetings, or maybe even jail. I don't know where everybody is tonight. We've got we got Jim with us. We got me. We got we got our guest tonight, Will, with us from Texas, and uh, I'm looking forward to that that segment right there. So. Let me uh, warn you guys, Jim uh, may duck under the table at any moment. They're starting to drop them in. They're dropping them in close where, where he is. So uh, let's go out to uh, let's go out to Jim and see what's going on out there. Hey, Jim, come on in here. Yeah, it's um, we're supposed to get lightning. We've had several lightning strikes close. Um, so the antenna is almost all the way down. It's fully nested um, in another foot or two. Um, and I disconnected uh, the equipment, so disconnected the coax connectors uh, from the transceivers. If it gets to be really bad, I'm going to take the transceivers off the desk and put them in a chair, literally, physically remove them. Um, there are devices called lightning protectors and lightning arresters. Well, I don't know if they would do much in a direct hit. Probably um, not. Hey, let, let me yeah. let me let me ask you a question here. I mean, we both have done this during a lightning storm out there. I've actually unscrewed the coax. Uh, do you feel a little funny unscrewing that coax during a lightning storm? <laughs> yeah. I yes. Yeah. So I did. I did it very quickly. Um, yeah, I I I do. Um, also, I'm thinking about making it as silly as it sounds. I'm thinking about making a video about how to screw on a coax connector. Yeah, it sounds silly, but a lot of folks do them wrong, and the body of the coax connector is not tight to the SO239. Uh-huh. Uh, it doesn't hit the indexing, and uh, I, I found a messing with uh, uh, devices like a nano VNA and other things like this. This gizmo, um, you can lose a couple of dB, believe it or not, with loose connectors. Also, I found that. Um, when there is uh, RF on the uh, transmit audio, you know, you're on single sideband and there's RF on the audio, it's often a loose coax connector in the scheme of things, which is releasing RF into the radio room uh, and it's getting into everything. So um, 
believe it or not, screw on a coax connector. I'm probably going to do that video. How to screw on a coax connector. All right. Well, hey, we're gonna, we, you got a segment in a, in a minute. We're going to talk real quick uh, in a minute about uh, an amp you built and maybe some uh, uh, spurious, spurious or, or harmonics. We could talk a little about that. Yeah. Then, then we're going to move. Well, we'll come back to you in just a minute and do that. But let's just say hello to our guest tonight. We've got uh, Will Everett, N5OLA. Now, hey, Will, come on in here. Did you say you're in Mexico or where are you? I'm uh, down in South Padre Island, Texas, uh, okay. down on the southern tip of, um, you know, Corpus is on the north end and we are on the south end down by Brownsville, Texas. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. We're, we are so glad having you tonight. I'm looking forward to the uh, restoration of the HW100. You're going to show us tonight and we're going to talk a little about it and a little about your ham radio uh, background there. We'll get around to that in just a few minutes. Uh, um, uh, let's just, uh, hey, let's just jump on back over to, uh, uh, Jim here real quick. And Jim, let's talk a little about what, what you put together tonight. What do you got here? I forgot. <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk about your amplifier and yeah, that's it. spurious radiation and three videos at one time. Which one? Did I upload? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm asking what people. Uh, other ham radio operators think I used the tiny SA. Um, I built a little sampler, which is in a well, it's in the video. It's in a box like this, and there's a core in there, and I uh, put some turns on it, just whatever I could fit. And the center conductor goes through that, so it's like you'd see in a watt meter. And then okay. um, the one end of that connects to a large bird dummy load. Uh, not a heath kit will. I see a little bit of lightning in the distance. And then I uh, use two 15 dB attenuators in the line uh, into the um, tiny SA. And so I had the tiny SA sweep from like 3.5 to 60 megahertz. I wanted to see what the second harmonic looked like, if there was one, and how strong was it on my amplifiers. So that's what the video is about. How strong is that second harmonic and and could that be a problem okay now this is a homebrew amplifier you built using a russian tube right yep yeah so tell us is. a little about the tell us a little about the power in the tube here real quick um maybe next next meeting i'll um, show you the tube it's okay it has a um, about a four inch diameter heat sink and that comes off the top of the tube it bolts into place hmm and uh, the tube has about 2,000 watts of plate dissipation. Gee. So it's, it's sorry, was there a question there? No. Uh, okay, it has, um, it, it can easily deliver 1,500 watts output um, with 100 watts of drive or so. And I, I built the amplifier around that. Uh, it's, uh, the chimney is a, um, uh, a glass chimney you might see on a lantern. And that just happens to fit over perfectly. There's a blower. The tube actually bolts to the chassis. Wow. It's grounded grid, and, and there's a grid ring, and you bolt that to the chassis. Um, and it takes uh, 12 filaments, 12 volts at uh, six amp, uh, 3 amps. So not a big filament. And it fluoresces at 
high power. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let me. I'm gonna try to put the video on and. Uh, okay. It's uh, it's less than two minutes, and we'll just take a look at it. It's, so it's a little, maybe a little bit longer than that. Yeah, now. Okay. Okay. Let's see if I can. Let's see if I can cue it up here and get it to play correctly. Let's see. Let me let me click a couple. That looks buttons. like me. Yeah. Let me see if I can click a couple buttons here. Hmm. That might do it right there. Okay. Here we go. Get some audio on it. Your ham radio Elmer here on YouTube. Welcome to my radio room in Rockland, California. Some guys in restoring equipment put them through the dishwasher. I didn't do that with my linear amplifier that I built from parts and pieces, parts of a Drake amplifier and other things. What I did do recently is I did a test of it with a spectrum analyzer, just a single tone at this point and looked at the second harmonic and I'd like to show you the results of that test. It was pretty simple to do. I'll describe how I did it. Results, I'm not sure if it's clean enough. Let me know what you think. So um, first I'll show you how I did the sample and then I'll talk about the, uh, the results. So here we go. So here's how I sample the RF and it's, it's really simple. I took a box, put SO239s on both ends, I've used it for a number of things. There's a, a core in here, and the um, center connector goes through the core. I put about 10 turns of number 18 wire uh, out, to, <clears throat> out to a BNC connector. And then this BNC connector connects to, uh, oh yeah, the other end of this, um, this end connector uh, goes to a bird uh, dummy load, so I wasn't put out, putting out any signal onto any band, just into here. And the dummy load is capable of uh, easily 1,500 watts. Then there were uh, two of these uh, attenuators, each is 15 dB. They connect to the SMA, and I was able to adjust the dB of attenuation uh, at this device uh, on screen. So let's take a look at that and tell me what you think. Is it clean enough? Here we go. I'm going to run the video now. It's only a minute and a half long. Okay, so here's the uh, first time I uh, transmitted a carrier. It, it was uh, trying to measure this between the peak and the second harmonic. About 35 and a half dB as near as I could figure looking at the screen. So that equals about four tenths of a watt output on uh, 10 meters, the second harmonic. So I did the test again, um, retune the ample a bit, see if it would make a difference. And uh, this time, uh, the difference between the, uh, the peak and the uh, second harmonic was about 35 dB. So at minus 35 dB and a 1500 watt transmitted signal, that's roughly uh, about a half a watt, the calculation ends up being a 0.47 watts, but about half a watt. So 1,500 watts uh, down 35 dB is about half a watt on 10 meters. So did some more fiddling to see if I could improve it, and uh, here's the, uh, the next test. Okay, the peak was a plus a dB and a half, and the second harmonic was 32.5 dB down. 
So round number is about 34 dB reduction in, uh, in the second harmonic. And that equals about six tenths of a watt. So I didn't do a very good job reducing the uh, harmonic content by retuning the amp. So I did it one more time. And uh, here are the results from the, uh, the next test. All right, so the last test, the difference between the peak and the uh, reduction was about 34 dB. And again, that works out to about half a watt. Uh, at 1500 watts output, the second harmonic is about half a watt at, uh, at 10 meters. So what do you think? Is minus 35 dB enough? If you haven't subscribed, uh, please do that. Uh, also, give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Uh, put your comment below. I'll, I'll be reading through them. 73 from W6LG. All right. Well, okay. So I didn't see a lot of difference between your tests there. Uh, no. You know, we were talking about, you know, I've never really thought much. Uh, 60 years of ham radio, I never really thought much about how much attenuation, uh, I guess, the FCC standard is. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, lo I looked up on a website, and someone, someone on a website said 43, let's see. They said it should be 43 dB down on HF, 60 dB down on VHF. Now, I don't know if that is a, a FCC rule or if somebody just threw that out there, but you're close at, uh, at, at 35. You're, you're very close there. So uh, I, think, uh, I think you'd be okie-dokie there. Uh, hey, guys, if you will, uh, go to Jim's uh, YouTube channel. Just just go to YouTube, and you can uh, go to W6LG, and you can comment there. Or you can comment, uh, I think, on our, uh, our, our YouTube uh, comment page there if you want to. Again, uh, go, visit, uh, go visit Jim's page there. He's got a lot of great stuff out there. Um, well, Jim, I'd be interested to see that... that uh, chimney and stuff you got in here I, I haven't thought about it but you know a chimney looks like the old-fashioned oil lamps is that what you use the chimney from something yeah. like that um what's the real common brand of uh, camping lamp lantern uh, coleman maybe a coleman coleman lantern? that's what it yeah. is so uh, a particular coleman was a perfect fit um and so i used a coleman lantern yeah because uh, the heat sink is uh, about three inches tall about four inches in diameter and it's copper solid copper is it copper or brass? It's brass. Come to think of it, and it weighs a bunch. It's really heavy. Uh, it, it could be five or six pounds alone on, on that thing. But, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And the price on the tube, you could buy them for 150 bucks. Well, that's not bad here. There's uh -huh. a there's a comment here in the chat room uh, tonight. Uh, uh, Mark uh, Mark P uh, K E eight H I W. Uh, said, wouldn't the antenna help attenuate the out-of-band harmonics? And it will. If you've got a resonant antenna up there, that's definitely going to help uh, reduce your your uh, your re your harmonic uh, uh, transmission there. So, Yeah, uh, and to that, further explain, good. I have a manual antenna tuner with a relatively high Q, I thought. And then it goes to a three-element monoband Yagi. So there's no 10-meter yeah. element on that. Um, I think... Because of uh, that last comment, it might be a good idea to set up a receiver and see uh, how strong it is um, and, and see if I can measure that, too. So anyway, interesting stuff for me. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll see how it works out.
and we'll see what the comments are there. Well, very good there. Hey, I know you're getting a lot of lightning there. I don't know if I, I haven't. You got a camera up there. Have you had any more close calls? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it got really windy yeah. for a few minutes. So Okay. Um, well, take it easy yeah. there and, and, and make sure you get your stuff disconnected. Yeah, it's uh, what I do is disconnect the coax. If it gets really close, I'll physically remove mm -hmm. the equipment. And as I've told people in here before, even my uh, my uh, power, AC power, is disconnected through a double knife switch to my stuff because I've been hit before where it comes into power <laughs> lines, and that, that can be just about as bad as coming in through the antenna, you know. I've been hit twice that way. Yeah. And it, yeah. Um, on Wolf Mountain, and the lightning goes where it wants to go. So we lost a TV set here, and oh, and it ruined the electrical panel. I had to replace the uh, the main panel. Yeah, I, I, it came in my AC, and also, I think it went out that I had a phone patch on there. We'll never have another phone patch on. Of course, we don't. We never need a phone patch nowadays, do we? So, you know, that's kind of obsolete. So, you know, just take care and disconnect everything, yeah. and you'll be okay. I'll bet care. Will has a phone patch. I, I bet he has a heat phone patch. He's kept phone You patch. think so? Yeah. Does it look like a lunchbox kind of thing? Know. The handle Hey, Will, are you, are you, got a, you got a heat kit phone patch here? I bet I've got four or five of them lying around Dude. somewhere. Oh, we'll see something. <laughs> I only had yeah. a landline. You know, I thought, you know what? I had uh, I had a Heath kit phone patch, and I think I put it on eBay here this year. Hmm. Got rid of it. Yep. I figured there's some collector out there that was wanting a Heath kit phone patch, and somebody like you, you know, look at all that stuff behind you there, all those Heath kits and different yeah. things man so green yeah all right so uh let's do this um well let's just talk a minute here with you uh, uh will and hey uh how do you get into ham radio man what what led you that way you know when i was 12 years old i went up to nebraska to see my grandpa and he was a world war ii radio guy his whole basement was just full of radios and uh he was um he was big on heat kits and uh, the the one rig that I was not to touch was the HW101. That was his <laughs> ride and joy. Yeah. And uh, I, I got my ticket when I was 13 and um, I wanted a 101 badly. At that time, this would have been, by the time I got my license, this would have been around the, the mid 80s. And uh, the the 101 was no longer in production. And by then, Heathkit had switched over to more solid state gear. Little did I know that when I bought an HW5400 transceiver, that was the last transceiver Heathkit would put out, mm -hmm. uh, with the exception of the uh, SS9000, which uh, I think only two of them, 200 of them sold. But um, yeah, I... Uh, I got into it through my grandpa. A lot of people did, I think. And um, as soon as I could, I was I was buying kits and building them because, frankly, with my McDonald's paycheck, that's about all I could afford. Um, so, and then I got out of radio for about thirty-two years, and it was only three years ago that I just kind of woke up like Rip Van Winkle. Just to see what's going on in ham radio these days. I've been out of the loop, and my God, it's it's all so high tech now. And um, yeah, you know, watching Jim go through you know his stuff, it's it's like wow, this is 
it, everything is just so state of the art now. And so it that kind of gave me a sort of rebound to the old vintage stuff because I know that uh, a lot of people still like the old tube radios, but there are fewer and fewer people around who can fix them. And so what I wanted to do is figure out how I could be like my grandpa and raise the hood on one of these things and work on them because they were made for people to be able to work on without uh, advanced degrees in electronics. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to know a little bit and you got to have some test equipment, but um, you, you can get by with um, a pretty rudimentary level of, electronics and common sense yeah I, uh, I think when we built the thing what all you needed was a voltmeter i think when you built it right yeah <laughs> that, you know you could, uh, yeah all the better if you had a scope but a voltmeter and an rf probe will get you where you need to go and yeah. a lot of times when i'm working on these things i try to use that old technology i've got a vacuum tube voltmeter with an rf probe on it and yeah uh, if I need to use the scope, I will, but uh, I like to use the old RF probes, you know, it, it gets the job done. Yeah, well, the 100, and I, I know you do mostly the 101s, and uh, we, we've got a video we're going to show in a minute where you're doing a 100. That was, I think it was the first 100 you did, and... Uh, yeah. Uh, but but the, there's not really much, hardly any difference between the 100 and 101. The 100, I guess, was the first one that came out. I was in the Air Force in about 1969, I guess. Uh, uh, I, was, I was telling you guys before the show started that that radio came on. Uh, yeah, I saw it advertised, $249.95 for the radio. And, and you know, it was um, sideband had just been coming out and, uh, I was on AM for years before that, and uh, all the sidebanders were supposed to stay above. I forget what it was. It's been, it's been 60 years, but I can I can still remember hearing people say they calling them slop buckets and telling them to go up above 3800 or wherever they belong. You know, I, I remember that. But uh, hey, sideband was the way things went, and uh, you know, I wanted a sideband rig. Uh, I got a 250 dollar pay raise in the Air Force one year, and uh, I said, I'm going to buy a $250 sideband rig, and I put that thing together, and I used that thing for many years. I homebrewed the power supply. I used it for many years. Uh, I even shipped it overseas and used it in Korea uh, as HL9KT, um, and then, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 years later, I, I sold it at HL9KT. HW100. I sold it for $250, and I only paid $250 for it. So it held its value, just really good. And mine is gonna is nowhere in shape like the ones you're gonna show that when you refurbish one. So, uh, how how many have you been refurbishing? How many uh, heat kits have have you refurbished? And tell us a little about that part. Well, like you said, I I typically uh, restore the HW101. That's uh, that's my rig of choice. It's the one I know. Um, I've got an SB101 here, which is very similar to the HW101. It just has a different layout on the front panel, but the boards are pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. um, I'll also restore the uh, HW16. I've got a few up there that are waiting to be restored. 
Um, but the, I, I try to, I don't know, I, rather than know a little bit about a lot of rigs, I like to um, cultivate a little mastery on just a few rigs. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot to know, and I'm still learning. It's kind of like uh, you start building a house while you're still in uh, studying architecture. You know, it's like uh, I don't have the patience to just learn all the theory. I want to get in there and do it. But a lot of times I hit dead ends because, you know, these tube rigs, they're very fickle beasts. And, you know, there's, um, thankfully, there are Facebook groups and there's a Yahoo uh, IO group that I'm a member of. And there's some very, very smart people on there who are very, very helpful. And without them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know my ass from apple butter if it wasn't from them, but they get me where I need to go. And, uh, Thankfully, I've done about, I don't know, 30 HW 101 so far mm -hmm. and about half a dozen of the HW 16s and a few of these SB 101s. Um, and I've, I've started taking in repair jobs. And I always tell people, like, you know, if it's a basket case, you better find somebody else. But, yeah. you know, if you need some basic repairs, I can probably do it. Yeah. yeah. May, I, may I ask a question? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, what's your attraction to uh, Heath? You know, and I, and I don't mean me. I mean, no. <laughs> you know, I think most people are drawn to the rigs that they used in their novice days when they were teenagers. And I, I am drawn to them, I think, in large part, because if I had my way when I was a teenager, I would have had some time with grandpa so he could teach me the stuff that yeah. I'm still trying to learn now. So for me, there's a lot of nostalgia built into it. And also there's a, a spirit of service because a lot of guys in their 60s and 70s want to sell the ICOM 7300 and get them a, the rig that they used when they were young. And But when you pick them up on eBay, they're horrible. They're, they're a mess. And uh, who's going to fix it for you? So I'm trying to be that guy. Are, are you able to get parts? Yeah. Well, you know, you acquire parts rigs and mm -hmm. you cannibalize them and, uh, you know, use them for, a... I hate tearing up a rig though. I do not like yeah. creating a parts rig. So I will sometimes go to ham fests and stuff and just buy a cheap old rig. Uh, if it looks like it's in really, really bad shape, it'll become my cadaver rig. But, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you know, the, what I'm able to do now and I'm not able to do a whole lot, but what I can do, I can only do because of social media and the rise of the internet, because I have all these online Elmers from all over the country that help me, um, you know, and back in the eighties, when I was doing <clears throat> grandpa's in Nebraska, I'm in Texas, there's nobody around to help me. So I can't do anything uh, except, you know, read magazines or, um, find somebody locally who might want to help me, but I didn't have access to that. Now with technology, we have that access. And so in just three years, I've been able to climb that learning curve. That's an interesting comment because where I grew up, there were hams everywhere. Go over one street, there was a ham. Go over two or three more streets, there was another ham. And they were all kind to me. They were all helpful. Um, so I had the benefit of that and one guy in particular, uh, but 
it isn't always possible today to to do that. You may not live in an area, like you said, where there's not many hams. So, um, yeah. Uh, guys like me doing YouTube videos maybe can help out. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah you know, I was... I grew up in my little town. I got my license at 16. Uh, actually, I found one ham. We had one ham in town, and uh, that was it. When did you get your license? When? 1964. Oh, you said 16, I thought. Yeah. At, at 16. Oh. At, at, not, not 1916. That would... Yeah. Boy, <laughs> I was also... That, uh, boy, that'd make me 107 years old or something. Wouldn't it? Mine but, was also uh, 64. Close. Um, Tom and I were licensed almost exactly at the same time. Yeah. Well. So yeah, I had I had one ham there, and uh, he was a general, and uh, boy, he uh, he taught me a lot of stuff. He would he would get these these pole pig transformers, you know, the transformers on the pole. He'd oh, yeah. take those and he'd take the inside out and he'd set it on the floor there, and he'd have five thousand volts or seven thousand volts running around there, and I think he had nine kids running around in a house. Uh, man. But they all survived it. Let me tell you. Mm. All right, look. Hey, let's look at uh, let's look at Will's uh, video here. I mean, I really want to look at it. This, this brings back old memories of building this HW100 and seeing all the parts in there, and I, I can remember nearly every part in there. So this is going to be cool. You, uh, before that? you show, I want to make one comment. Yeah. Um, you know that that video. I, I think one of the one of the most controversial parts is the sink scrub which um, uh, some people just, they, they can't stand to see a radio in the sink with soap on it and you're scrubbing it. Um, I will say that we still have Heathkit engineers out there who are making YouTube videos. And this technique in particular comes from a fellow named Robert Sumption. Mm -hmm. um, I did not originate it, but I, I got it from his video and it works. Well, you know, that, that scrub must have been around a long time because even before Heathkit came out, um, my my uh, first two-meter radio was an old Motorola two-channel tube taxicab radio. Must have weighed um, 25 pounds. And uh, it was washed in a dishwasher and dried out, and uh, that's what I used on two meters, my first two-meter rig. And it worked. Wow. It, it looked like a brand new radio, and it must have probably been 20 years old when I got it. Oh, well. All right, well, we're going to see this. I mean, oh, man, it. the more I've looked at it, the more I've seen it done. I mean, it seems nat natural, and it, and it works fine. Uh, some people might say, what? You're putting water on your radio? That's a no-no. Well, it's really not a no-no. So let's uh, let's look at this and and uh, see what uh, what we've got here. Let me see if I can get it going here for you. And this is a uh, Will N5OLA. And let's see if we can play it here. Hey, my name's Will N5OLA, and uh, you're in my shack where all the fun happens and the frustration. Latest candidate for frustration is this HW100. Picked it up a couple years ago at uh, an estate sale, it was uh, pretty dusty. And I don't usually pick up 100s, I usually pick up HW101s. Uh, this is sort of the older brother of the 101. It's 
basically the same radio except for the lack of a CW filter and a different uh, VFO tuning mechanism and uh, one or two other little incidental circuit differences. But all in all, it's pretty much the same radio. So I'm gonna power this up and just see what happens. And then we're gonna go through the restoration process step-by-step, step, taking enough time to explain what I'm doing so that you as a restorer can do likewise. It's not a bad looking radio. These rigs were produced from 1968 to 1970, so we can figure on it being about uh, 55 years old or thereabouts. Of course, the belts are in bad shape, gotta be replaced. Everything's dusty, we expect that. Looky there, this rig had some professional attention back in 1985, so that's a good sign. This might be a good candidate for restoration. Let's fire it up and see what happens. good sign. We want that to start creeping back down as it warms up. Come on. Oh, I had the RF gain all the way down. Okay. Hey. Nice. Awesome. Let's give it a bath. One last look at all the grunge before we clean it up. Just like I said, this is pretty much par for the course. I think this rig's been in a garage. It's got some straw. I've seen these with uh, the coax gnawed by rodents. I mean, it can get really bad. This isn't bad at all. This is the part that's been known to make grown men cry. I got this step from um, a retired heat kit engineer. This is how he does it, this is how I do it. This is just plain old dish detergent. I'm gonna kind of stab it a little bit because if you can see, see that uh, kind of mottled look right there? Um, that, is some really baked on grunge. You don't want to be so aggressive that you start to snapping off your capacitors, but I'm gonna go in with a toothbrush into some of those uh, areas with the more resistant grunge. And uh, I will use progressively smaller brushes as I go along. And I'll rinse it and if there's there's still some grunge on there. I'll go back and do it again. And then same thing on the underside. And I'm gonna be careful not to damage this sticker because this is part of the rig's history. It's kind of a historical artifact. Okay, and then in the oven at 170 for 20 minutes. And then I'm gonna turn off the oven and let it sit in there for another 20. It's the next day and here it is. Look at those boards, just gleaming.
that it's been about 10 hours on my back porch the next day after the oven drying. So I'd say it's ready for the next step. Next step is to check every resistor. I made up these handy cheat sheets from the manual and I laminated them because I do so damn many of these. What I'll do is just indicate any that are off and I'll come back later and replace them. I tend to replace any that are more than 15% out of tolerance. That's how I do it. Some people would say 20%. I think 15 is a good. Here's an example, 4.7K tests 6.35K. My math, no, it's not very good. I'd say that's over 30% off. Let's change it out. And we're done. Got 14 bad resistors throughout the different boards. Most of them on the audio board. When we pull them, let's go ahead and pull these paper caps. So now that I've established which ones are bad, I mark them on the x-ray view provided in the manual. And then I pull them, I use a dental pick. Pull it, get it on this side, find the trace on the other side. And by the way, I use a, a Lazy Susan to flip it around. 20 bucks well spent. And I find the trace and heat it up, pull it out from the other side. And there it is with the resistor replacements. All those blue and pink ones in there are new. And also, can you see one, two, three, four, these four diodes in the balance modulator, those are new too. So there's a lot of work yet to come. I've got to put some belts on here. I've got to put a belt here and align it and put the knobs on and troubleshoot. But at this point, I just want to see if I've got any tragic problems, i.e. things that explode or start to smoke. So I'm going to wire it up and see what happens. And it went out. Okay. So no power getting to the voltage regulator. I would say most of the time the problem is something mechanical, like a bad solder connection. And right here, see on this side how the wire is moving in place? Not good. I'm gonna re-solder that. So this pink wire, it should be red, but this is an old rig, so it's faded. It's pink, and this is where it comes in from the power supply with 320 odd volts, and it goes up here to the voltage regulator tube, OA2. And guess what? Um, my, uh, I'm grounded to chassis here and, uh-oh, something's wrong, or it's shorting. So let's, uh, let's follow the schematic and find out what I did wrong because it wasn't doing that before. So obviously I screwed up somewhere. Let's see. Okay, here's the problem. I checked all the resistors that I installed and I looked at this one and check this out. See where it's shorting to ground? Let's clean that up. I should have caught that before, but I'm going to fire it up again. And this time I want to see that meter peg out. Beautiful. Come on. That's it. And as it comes down, we should start to get some sound in the speaker. And we do. Well, I've been moving along. I've got the knobs on. 
I just put it through the alignment process. If you want to align one of these rigs, you got to have a set of alignment tools, which I do sell on my website. And I'm noticing right away one conspicuous problem. There is nothing in lower sideband. So let's check it out. I suspect that it's a bad LSB crystal. It usually is. So I've got my frequency counter hooked up and I'm going to put, I've got it, the black pin to ground, to chassis and red pin to the center pin of the carrier null pot right there. Okay. So an upper sideband or CW, I should have 3396. Let's switch it over to LSB. I should have 3393. Switched it over and it's dead. So I'm going to replace the crystal. This is the Y2 crystal. I know that from checking the manual and it's really easy to pull out of there. Just happened to have one of these from one of my cadaver rigs that's why too these x-ray views in the manual are just fabulous literally 30 seconds to desolder that crystal and pull it out of there and i'm gonna pop that in right there and i did it November 5, Oscar Lima Alpha. November 5, Oscar Lima Alpha. Thank you for the call. Uh, another nice signal. 59 plus 20 over the pileup. Name is Nick, November India, Charlie Kilo. Awesome. One thing is bothering the hell out of me. That. And as it happens, I know a guy who sells these insets. And there we go. Man, the details really make a difference. Is the buyer of this rig gonna know that I spent a dollar to get that metallic inset on that knob? Probably not, but I know. So, it looks good, it works great. But now we gotta do a couple pieces of fine tuning and that starts with neutralizing the finals. Very important step. And I'm gonna do it in a way that's not given in the manual. This is the alternate way. This is given in the uh, Heathkit service bulletins. Hopefully I have put a link to this page on the YouTube description because this is how you do it. Don't forget to install the tube shields like I almost did. Three tube shields. One, two, three. The next alignment step involving the RF probe is nulling the carrier. This is my ugly little homebrew RF probe. I've got the, uh, I've got it grounded to the chassis and I'm just going to remotely clip it to the antenna input. I always do this with the radio off because I'm terrified of touching any of that stuff. So, good idea to leave it off. 
I've got the mic CW level all the way counterclockwise, pre-selector where it needs to be, and the final where it needs to be. Now I'm just going to key the mic and see if I get anything on my meter. Oh yeah. We don't want that. That's the carrier null pot. And then here is a carrier null trimmer to fine tune it. I'm gonna start with that one. I made a discovery, I'm turning the null potentiometer back and forth. I'm not getting any change. So this tells me that I gotta replace this guy. And that's a very common repair on these old rigs. This pot doesn't stand the test of time at all. This is where that 200 ohm potentiometer mounts to the underside of the modulator board. What I did was I just clipped off the leads, uh, desoldered them, and I'm gonna leave that in there because otherwise I've got a big gaping hole. This is electrically the same thing as that, except it's modern. It's a 20 turn, 200 ohm potentiometer. I like to mount it with the screw away from that tube. Makes it a lot easier to adjust it. And there it is. Okay, I've reattached the RF probe to the antenna input. And uh, let's try it again. Click. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and turn this. And now we're bringing that carrier oscillation as far down as it will go. Well, that's about it. I'm going to check it out on all bands, make sure it's got full output, and uh, then turn my attention to the cabinet. So the cabinet is salvageable. It's not great, but I think I can clean this up and bang out some of the dents and use a little touch-up paint and uh, start out by just uh, giving it a good bath. I'm going to give this a light sanding and then I've decided I am going to paint it. Right here is some touch-up paint that I had. It doesn't look good up against this green. However, it's pretty close and I think I can get away with painting just the top and leaving the bottom, just cleaning the bottom. I don't want to paint the bottom half of the cabinet because that's where the silk screening is and I hate having to run out the lettering on a label maker. Ugh. So I'm going to lightly sand this and then prime it and paint it. I ended up with a custom matched paint that I actually sell these on my website in 50la.com. This is the uh, Heathkit Green. I also sell a paint for the SB line rigs. I've got them in uh, spray paint and also in little touch-up bottles. Well, there's the final product. I really am happy with that. It does have some shiny patches um, where the old paint was uh, gone. And there's also, you can see where there were gashes in the old paint. Those are still kind of showing up faintly, but you know what? I think that's quite nice. I'm really happy with that. And it's a pretty good match with the bottom part of the chassis. This is the silk screening that I didn't want to lose by having to spray paint this part. 
and I won't have to. Well, that's it. She's all put back together. She's tuned, aligned, and ready for action. All right, man, that was uh, that was exciting, fun, interesting to watch. Man, you did a great mm -hmm. job here, Will. Great job. Thank you. You know, uh, there were some comments in the chat room, uh, particularly about the, the carrier null. Someone uh, said that he replaced it with a 20-turn 20, 20 pot, and right after that, you replaced it with a 20-turn pot. You know, so must be a common problem with that radio. Right. Yeah. Well, hey, man, it uh, it looks great. Um, you got a, you, let's say you've got a website out there, I think, uh, if, do you have some parts, or what, what, what do you have on your website in case people are interested in trying to restore a heath kit? Do you help them any? Yeah, well, what I try to do is make uh, things available to other restorers. So, um, for instance, I, I got some um, one of my uh, one of my buddies on the uh, heath kit Facebook group. He got some heath kit paint custom made by MyPerfectColor.com up in the uh, Colorado, I think, or somewhere. Mm -hmm. And they still had the formula. So I said, hey, I'm going to buy a, a hundred cans of this spray paint and um, give me a bulk discount. And then I'll resell them to other restorers. I don't make a lot on it, but that's not really the point. You know, people want to restore a rig. They don't want to restore the inside and then have a crappy outside. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I try to Try to sell stuff that they need, like um, alignment tools, things that are kind of hard to find, or you know, I, I think I'm slowly becoming kind of a one-stop shop for heat kit restorers. Um, well, and the website is in five ola.com. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Uh, someone was asking in the chat room, "Can you do modern radio equipment like that?" Um, I'm just trying to think. I, I wouldn't see why you couldn't. Uh, do you know anything about? The new no. uh, solid state stuff. I, I wouldn't have any reservations uh, scrubbing down a solid state rig at all, as long as it's nice and dry before you power it up. That's the main thing. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, you know, um, you uh, you put in an oven. I think you said 140 degrees or something like that. Is that right? I put it on the lowest setting I have, which is 170. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm just thinking it's probably nothing in a new, well, you know, Hey, a new modern rig, I don't know. They may use some plastics or stuff now, you know, I don't know if the one, 170 might be damaging that or not. I don't think so. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. I'd hate to throw it in here in the front of the estimator melt off, you know, but uh, maybe 170 is not too, too awful hot, you know? So, yeah. That's, well, hey, that's not all that hot. Oh, it's not. No, well, I guess, not, I, I not guess it gets that hot out west, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, in Texas, they get to 170 degrees. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. On well, my back porch by the bay, you know, it's in the summertime. I put rigs out there and they are dry by sunset. So, but I do try to give them some time because, you know, down in the coils and stuff, you're going to have some moisture and you don't want any moisture left at all. But when you fire yeah. that thing. Well, Don, uh, Don just asked in the chat room, uh, how, how does the, um, 
Let's see. Let's see. He asked about water affecting the IF transformers, or those CAN transformers, and you just answered him almost when he uh, put the question out there. It's, it water does get in there, but you, you, when you uh, restore, you you don't try purposely to get water inside the coils, but we know water gets in them, and you you got to let it dry, right? Yeah, and you you do want to get them clean because dust gets collected in there. I, I have literally found mud daubers nests inside mm. those transformers. So it's you got to clean them out, but they're usually the last things to dry. And back when I first started doing this, when I didn't quite know everything that I should have known, um, I would power them up a little prematurely. And you you would know that the, the transformers were still wet because there would be this crazy crackle. Mm. But... You know, within a few hours, that crackle would go away and it'd be fine. Um, it, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you do want to get them really dry before you um, put them on the air. Yeah. You I have a question. Go ahead, go ahead Jim. Uh, thanks, Tom. Uh, what soap do you use to, um, is, there, is one better than another? You're using a detergent versus like a hand soap or something. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> They're just using dish detergent, like, you know, Dawn dish soap or something. Um, you know, some people put them in the dishwasher, and I don't do that only because I want to be very specific in my um, my brushwork. You know, I want to get the brush in there where it needs to go. And once I've got it scrubbed, the dishwasher is kind of redundant because I've yeah. already cleaned it. Yeah. You know, it, if you're not getting in there with a brush and you throw it in the dishwasher, you're not going to be happy with the results. Mm -hmm. you Do you have a recommendation for the brush? Like, Oh, us? well, I, what I do is I start with a big, like a, a two inch uh, paintbrush and it's got to be kind of soft. You don't want the real stiff bristles. And then uh, from there I go down to a toothbrush um, and I'll, I'll take uh, just an old toothbrush and bend it like that and just get it down in between the resistors and things. And then if I've still got a lot of baked on grunge, I'll get an artist paintbrush and just go in there with a really fine tip and just scrub it out. Um, is all that scrubbing necessary for the radio to work? Probably not, but why half do it? You know, why leave all that crap in there? My, my other question is uh, potentiometers. Um, uh, and I guess switches to some extent too, like man switches and things like that. Are you able to clean them and get them back into service or uh, especially like a band switch that can yeah. be really hard to replace what you got there? Well, this is just a hardware store contact cleaner. Um, and mm -hmm. that is one of the steps is spraying those wafer switches and getting those contacts clean. It's a really important step. Uh, so many things sudden that are not working suddenly start working when you've got clean contacts. Um, so, as well as the relay contacts. You so, got a question here about rust. What about rust? Well, um, I, I'm going to be putting a video up in the next few months about the rustiest rig I've ever encountered. Um, every screw in there was just, was so rusted. You couldn't even get a screwdriver in it. Mm -hmm. um, now the most components don't actually rust. You're not going to find rusty resistors and things unless it's been in like submerged or something yeah um, <clears throat> well let's but, let's uh let's let's talk about resistors and capacitors for just a minute uh 
You know, I, I, I saw you testing all the resistors, uh, and I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, those weren't high-tolerance res resistors when we were put in there, and after 30, 40 years, they are going to change. Uh, but when you test them in a circuit like that, you know, they're across other circuitry, and that's going to change the resistance value. So uh, to me, it would seem hard to tell if they're really out of tolerance just because they're going to be paralleled across other resistors. So I guess you go for the, the ones that are off the most. Have, have you ever gone back and rechecked a replacement one that you thought was off by 30% and it still checked the same? Um, well, okay, here's the thing. When resistors go bad, they go up in value. Mm. And that when typically when you're when they're in circuit, they're going to be below value. Yeah. Um, in concert with the other resistors. Yeah. They're not going to. They're not going to go above value. So that's when you find one that's over fifteen percent above value, uh, then you know, like, uh oh, something's wrong here because it should be pulling below value. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And what? I, I actually, I should have said that in the video because I, I noticed when you, when I was watching it, like, I said uh, fifteen percent off tolerance or something. I should have said above tolerance. But yeah. yeah. What about what about capacitors? Um... I, I didn't notice you really changing any uh, in this case. Well, you know, the little uh, ceramic capacitors, they're pretty reliable. And the mm -hmm. mica capacitors, they're pretty reliable. Yeah. Uh, I will only deal with those if I'm troubleshooting and I find a problem and the schematic points me to a possibly bad ceramic capacitor. Mm -hmm. I'll pull it out. The only way to really check them is to pull one of the legs out and check them. Yeah. And um even when you even when you check them sometimes they they're they're mischievous sometimes they they test fine but they're yeah. not yeah Dialogues all the time they're leaky you know it's it's frustrating sometimes but yeah yeah all right well hey it's been uh really interesting man thanks so much for being with us tonight uh, i think you'd mentioned you may have to go uh check on some work that you're having done and we really appreciate you coming on our show tonight and showing this. I oh, think thank it, you very much. I'm, I'm really yeah. um, excited to see more people getting into vintage gear. And um, just, I really enjoy keeping those old rigs on the air. So go green. Yeah. And it's my favorite rig, my starter sideband rig. Hey, the show is on YouTube. It's on our YouTube channel. So you can look at it uh, anytime. Tell your friends about it. Uh, just go to W5KB on YouTube and they'll see our, our weekly shows. And uh, the week will be, what is it, 12, 12 19, 23 is the date on it. So uh, pass the word around. And, man, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you. And I guess if anybody needs to contact you, you probably have an email on QRZ, right? Yeah, just go to QRZ. Um, okay. And I do get a lot of people uh, wanting, you know, they're having problems with their rigs and stuff. I'm, I'm happy to answer questions if I can. Yeah, um, okay. You know, caveat, I'm still learning a lot of this stuff. So um, I'll do my best. All right. Well, very good, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. All right. All right. Boy, that was uh, that was interesting there. And uh, I'm glad to, uh, glad to see that HW100 come out looking spanking new man oh man hey we had uh we got brett joined us hey brett how you doing man come on in here ah good evening yes i've been uh 
talking to my local city council about zoning ordinances. Uh, they're not as bad as an HOA most of the time. So you're involved in uh, trying to get some zoning changed? Uh, well, I'm trying to keep them from changing zoning in ways that would restrict uh, that would restrict things, and uh, hopefully I'll be hopefully I'll be successful at, successful at doing it. They passed one of the amendments that I advocated for, so uh, cool. I must have done something right. That's that's cool, man. Okay, well, hey, oh man, you're not only a co-host on our show here, you're a you're a. I guess we're gonna have to list you also as a politician. Oh boy, heaven forbid! I don't want to be a politician. Even if they stick me on the city council, I don't want to be a politician. Oh, man. Hey, if you get on a city council, man, you can pass all kinds of laws about ham radio. You know, every home can have a hundred foot tower. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, you can you can you can make that happen, man. Well, I don't know. Maybe I could at least get a proclamation out recognizing uh, the hams in the area because they do some good stuff. That's true. That's true. All right. Hey, uh, uh, Jim, how's the lightning there? You, you about got hit a couple yeah, times. Yeah, it's, had... it's been going pretty good, and it's getting closer. And, Brett, I was a planning commissioner involved in zoning. so There you go. Uh, Look yeah. at there. Uh, uh, yes. Um, I guess we have two politicians. They can't. They, it's tough to um, restrict something if it's been okay for several years. You can't say, well, you can't have a tower now because we've changed the rules And if you have a tower up. But um, meetings like that can be really contentious oh, because yeah. there's always somebody who wanted to change zoning, um, especially if you had a large vacant lot, you know, like 40 acres, and he wants to subdivide it. It may have been zoned for one house. Now he wants to put 50, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And in our case, what happens is, you know, you're right, it's grandfathered in until you apply for a building permit, until you try to do something productive, and then they impose all the new requirements. And get well, you. as a former building inspector <laughs> and expert witness in court, um, I, 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 as opposed to the guy recently in the news, he got, oh, he got paid a million bucks. Um, yeah. What? Tell the building department to pounce and um, we're gonna we're gonna have to put a new title on Jim here, expert. Well, look at that. I saw I made my living for a while. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I held a broker's license and a general contractor's license and an appraisal license. I was cool. a planning commissioner, a building code board, fire code board. Oh man! Never Ooh. took a class in electronics, unfortunately. Ooh. All right. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad you could make it, uh, uh, Brett. Yeah, behind uh, me you can see uh, you can see what I've been up to. I was listening for uh, signals from the ISS. I was hoping to get some slow scan TV from the the latest Eris mission. Uh -huh. Wow! This is this is the software that you usually use to uh, usually use to to receive it. This is the MSS TV. Um, MMSSTV software, and you can see I've got a collection of things I've uh, that I've already, I've already received, but for some reason I didn't get any images from the uh, from the ISS this time, and I don't see any on their gallery site. So I'm wondering whether the mission the uh, mission didn't come off. Yeah, I don't know. I have have not been following it. All I was right. hoping to show them tonight. All right. Hey, stand by a second. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. We got some. Fun stuff coming up here in just a moment here, guys. Searching for the perfect holiday gift? This holiday season, make your gatherings merrier 
Your message is clearer and your connection stronger with ICOM. Whether inside the ham shack or on the air in the great outdoors, we have what's at the top of your favorite ham's wish list. From high-powered base stations and mobiles to compact, travel-friendly handhelds and portables, our radios offer features and functions such as spectrum scope and waterfall displays, D-Star, single sideband, CW, RTTY, AM, FM, modes, and much more. ICOM has a radio that every ham wishes to see under the tree. The ID5100 AD is innovation and mobility taken to the next level. Designed from user input, the ID5100 AD offers an intuitive user interface experience with an industry-leading touchscreen display. This radio is one of the most advanced dual-band mobiles on the market today. The ID52A is a VHF-UHF dual-bander with D-Star and FM dual-mode functions, and it's the first handheld amateur radio with a full-color 2.3-inch color waterfall display. This radio supports conventional FM communications and D-Star, simplex, repeater, regional, and worldwide calls over the D-Star Internet Gateway. For more information on ICOM radios, go to www.icomamerica.com. All right, guys, now we are back, and uh, I want to talk to you about something else. I want to talk to you about GMRS. I've got a friend at church, and uh, he kind of wanted, you know, when the... You know, when the grid goes down, everything he wants to be able to talk to his family, and I tell him that's just about impossible. You know, and he they, he says, "Well, hey, you ever heard of a bowfang?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "Yeah, I've heard of bowfangs." I said, "I don't know if you're going to be happy or not." Uh, you know, he said, "Well, he's talking about getting his ham license." And then we said, "Well, if you get your ham license and you want to talk to your wife or you want to talk to your sons, they all got to get their license." So then that's a kind of a showstopper for him on that. So, uh, you know, thinking, well, GMRS might be um, the next best solution. It's not great, but GMRS works basically just like a ham radio. Uh, it's on the 462 megahertz UHF. Uh, it's channelized to make it simple. And they do have repeaters. Now, there are not many repeaters around, but you can put your own repeater up if you want to with GMRS. So, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm telling them, you know, that this kind of stuff is line of sight, guys. And if you really look at, if you really look at line of sight, if you're ha holding a handy talkie at six feet in the air, line of sight is not very far, just a few miles. Plus, if you got buildings in a way, it's less than that. So, you know, the interesting thing, you see these FRS uh, radios and GMRS radios at Walmart and places, and they say long range, 32 miles and so forth. Well, that's that's from a mountaintop to a mountaintop. And, uh, in fact, uh, uh, I was looking at some uh, information lately, and they're starting to kind of put in the, uh, in the description there, you know, hey, you might can do 20 miles mountaintop to mountaintop, and then they say, oh, you might you might get eight miles on the on the ocean, and then on on land you might get one and a half miles. You know, so it kind of they're kind of coming back to reality here. Uh, we know that handy talkie's not going to do 30 miles. So so anyway, um, going to get him started with it with GMRS now. 
GMRS requires a license. They've, they've come down in price. The license used to be $75 for 10 years. The price now is $35 for 10 years, and that includes your entire family. So that's a good good match for him, his family, you know, to, to, to use it. The fact that it's operating in UHF, and there are some repeaters out there, kind of like ham, it, it, it kind of is a, a better match than than nothing, I guess. So, look at here what I've got, guys. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I applied for me a GM, GMRS license, and uh, I've got a radio here. I'm gonna unbox it real quick. Oh, it's green. It's called Radio Radio Oddity. Radio. I got it from Radio Oddity. Radio Oddity. Okay, we're gonna unbox it in a minute. But you know, I call it. I was having trouble. See, I had. I've been a ham so long. I have an F. What is an FRN number? FRN. Is that right? Is that right? FRN? Yeah. The FCC gives everybody an FRN number. Well, I've had mine so long, it didn't really have a uh, a password or a login with it. They were, back then, they didn't do that. Well, now when you create an account, you got to have a password and login, and then you got to associate that, that FRN number, your ham FRN number, to your, to your newly created FCC license. Yeah, so... I was having trouble associating it. It it wasn't coming in, uh, and and uh, I did have a question that you could you could ask, and it was my mother's maiden name. And uh, the problem I had there was uh, I kept getting a failure because I was capitalizing the name, and I found out later that there was no capital on it. So anyway, I called the FCC. Now here's my experience with the FCC. It was great. I called them. Uh, the phone answered pretty quick. Uh, I was on hold maybe maybe 45 seconds, and then I got a person. Now, I don't know where that person was, but uh, I got a person. And that person was very helpful. That person told me exactly what I needed to do. She sent me an email with instructions, and uh, I was able to associate my FRN number with my new account. Everything went fine. Then I went to the payment page and I gave a credit card and I paid my $35 for my license. So um, I'm going to have I'm going to have a new call here pretty soon. You know, something like I don't know, I don't know, WX04295 or something like that. I'm going <laughs> to that'd be weird. But anyway, anyway, on 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 GMRS you have to give your call letters every 15 minutes. On FRS you don't. I don't think you have to. Now, FRS uh, channels uh, are compatible with GMRS channels. Uh, some of them are. The problem is the FRS. I think you're only. I think you're limited to a half watt or something like that. Uh, half a watt. Where on uh, GMRS, uh, uh, most of the channels are five watt limit. But then there are some channels that are uh, 50 watt limits. Now, and those are those are channels that you can actually put repeaters on. So you can actually put a repeater on uh, GMRS. So let's let's talk a little about this this, this radio right here, real quick. This is the Radioddity DB25G. It's supposed to be a 25 watt radio, and uh, I um, I've already plugged it in. There's there's the uh, there's a mic. The cable's kind of I don't know. It's not real flexible. I don't know what that's made out of, but it'll 
it'll eventually, I guess, in some heat, maybe it'll stretch out. So there's a GMRS, uh, the microphone. That's pretty straightforward. You know, you got your menu button, your up, down, and, uh, you know, a few, few extra functions on it right there. Uh, it comes with a power cable. Now, I was surprised. This is the only cable that comes with it. And I was surprised. This is pretty small wire. Man, that's not, you know, it's not used... It's not like I'm used to with, you know, a ham mobile rig where they hit much larger wire. This is probably half the size. I don't know. All right, so here's the radio. And I was surprised about this. This is a mini radio. Uh, this radio is supposed to be a 25-watt radio. Now, I didn't put it on a dummy load. I put it on an antenna. And I put a bird watt meter on it. And... Uh, I'm only getting about 16 watts out. Oh, maybe in a bird watt meter, I might get more. But that's what it—that's what it looks like. It's uh, pretty small. The entire thing is a heat sink. It does get hot. I think it says it's going to get hot. All right. So I hooked it up to a dual band antenna. My dual band antenna, you know, covers the 450, 460 range, and this this radio is on 462. I didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. The nearest repeater to me is probably 15 miles or more away, and either I don't have it set up right or it just won't reach it. I kind of think it won't reach it. When I look at the footprint of that repeater, they say 10-mile range on the repeater, which is pretty, pretty, pretty uh, short distance. So I know nothing about it. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure out all the channels. I've got the manual with it here. The manual is written in Chinese English. Oh man, I need some help here. All right, guys, help me here. Listen closely. I'm gonna read a couple paragraphs to you. You can tell me in the chat room what this means. So supposedly this radio has a remote stun and a remote kill and a remote revive, okay? Stun, kill, and revive. Now. Okay, when receiving match DTMF signals, which is same as pre-programmed remote stun code, transmitting is disabled. It will also alert on the display mode. The radio will restore to work normally only after remote revived. What the heck does that mean? This function is able to select to be or not to be, controlled by master ID code. This function is not controlled by RX signaling, Remote stun code is programmable by PC software. Now, here's a remote kill. When receiving match DTMF signals, which same as pre-programmed remote kill code, transmitting, receiving, and all activities will be disabled. It will, it will also alert on the display mode. The radio will restore to work normally only after remote revived. This function is able to select to be or not to be, controlled by master ID code. Ugh. Now here's about to revive. When receiving match DTMF signals, which is same as a pre-programmed remote revive code, the radio will be revived and restored to work normally. This function is able to select to be or not to be, controlled by master ID code. This function is not controlled by received signaling. Guys, I don't know, man. I mean, it sounds like English, but it don't make a lot of sense to me. Well, what do you think, uh, Brett? Did you, did you figure all that out?
Uh, sounds like a factory reset to me. <laughs> I, I, the thing could fault. I don't think it's the factory. Well, I, I don't think it's a factory reset. I don't think it's that, but I'm not sure what it is. This, uh, you know, it's um, it, whew, it's interesting. Now, the thing about it, the reason I wanted him to go with the GMR radio, of course, we all know that a lot of people buy I like the bow thing and stuff, bow thing, whatever it's called. And of course, it's not, it's not approved to work on. Um, GMRS frequencies, although we know we can program it and it will work there, but legally it's not gonna not supposed to work. So, so that's the reason that I told him let's go with the GMRS radio because on the GMRS radio, uh, I can receive out of GMRS frequencies. I can receive um, UHF on here, different frequencies like ham. I can receive I can receive the weather, the NOAA radar on here, uh, NOAA weather on here, and so forth. But it's simple that it's channelized for GMRS, like channels one through twenty-nine or something like that. So it makes it real simple. Instead of trying to program a frequency for a specific channel, the GMRS already has uh, specific uh, channels that are programmed. So this guy knows nothing about radio, uh, so I'm trying to keep it very simple uh, for him. So I've got me a GMRS here. Let's see what the chat room has, might have said here. Let's see. Anything got a, got a road? Sounds like Shakespeare's involved. Yeah, I think Shakespeare was involved. There are a lot of to be and not to be uh, in, the, in the manual here. So um, I noticed that myself. Um, uh gee i don't know it's uh it's gonna be interesting to uh to get going um we'll uh we'll see what uh we'll see what happens so gmrs uh, do we have any gmrs users in the chat room that is the question gmrs users in the chat room Uh, GMS, GMR, GMRS repeaters have a separate input and output. Yes, they do. They're they're just like ham. They're five mega, megahertz uh, uh, separation. So uh, it'd be what, 462N. It'd be what uh, is it minus five uh, uh, down. So and this thing's got tones. You can put tones in it. CTCS uh, tones. Uh, it's got other <clears throat> it's got other tones I've never heard of. Uh, different other standards. I have no idea what they are. Like I could put a tone DO3, whatever DO3 is. Man, I don't know. So I'm a newbie when it comes to GMRS. Try to make this work here. Uh, uh, you know, it's hard for somebody to. They they think they can get them a radio and they can, you know, talk wherever they want to, and it just Signals don't go that far. There is no real good, uh, real good solution for this guy. Uh, uh, you know, you can get a, you get your ham license, get your family get a ham license, but uh, you know, you'd have to well, use it. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, sort of like the new B. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It is. Ways he used to be licensed, and it requires about as much knowledge of radio. 
which is good and bad. Um, I can all, all of my VHF rigs can tune and scan GMRS channels, so sometimes I listen. Yeah, yeah. A lot of truckers are using it. You know, a lot of off-road is going this now. You know, your Jeeps and your off-road stuff, your uh, ATVs, they, they go out in the, the deserts and the mountains, and, and they use this, and it, it'd be good for them, you know. It'd be good for that application. So I don't know, guys. Uh, well, I'm going to try to see if it, you know. It, One important thing, by the way, about GMRS that might motivate you to get the license is that you can do business over it. You're not allowed to do business on ham radio, but if you switch over to GMRS and the other person also has uh, has a GMRS license, then you can. Well, well, wait a minute. I'm not so sure because when you when I applied for the license, if it was a you could not apply if you were a business. You had to apply as an individual. Maybe you can use it as a business, but you apply well, you as can... you apply as an individual. Yeah, you apply as yeah. a, as a, as an individual. That's true. Yeah. Um, but you can do business with someone else who has a GMRS license or who's covered by yours, and your family is covered by your license. Right. Right. Uh, so that every if if you hand out radios to your family, they can all use your call sign, and they don't have to get licensed separately. Well, and you know the I guess the neat thing about this, let's say you have this little GMRS radio in your car, and you you on a trip, and one of your family members joins you. Uh, he could run into Walmart and he could buy a cheap $20 FRS radio, you know, the bubble wrap, uh, handy talking. He could come out and get in the car. He could actually talk to you because uh, I think there are uh, eight channels or 16 channels that are the same, GM, uh, GMRS and, and uh, FRS are the same. So, uh, you know, that's an interesting point there, you know. It, it, if you don't want to take the test and if you want to get the whole family uh, where they can talk on it, it's probably a good deal, you know. And of course, there are some hams who illegally, well, it's, they're kind of they're, they're kind of skirting the rules, who, who go ahead and unlock their uh, VHF rigs so that they yeah, can also yeah. get GMRS channels. Uh, that's not legal, but uh, no, no, it's not really enforced. Yeah, and, and so uh, you know, some people will use the same rig for both preppers, especially seem to do that. Oh yeah, that. yeah. Uh, Don asked, "Does the family have to have the same domicile?" I, I kind of, I kind of think so. Prob it probably makes sense. I mean, you know, th th this guy I'm helping out, he's he's like almost eighty. His sons are in their sixties, and they have their own family, living you know, a, a different different home. I doubt his sons are going to be included in his license, so he's not counting on that. He said his sons can get their own license, you know. And at $35, that's $3 and a half per year is what it costs you, yeah. You mentioned uh, preppers. Mm -hmm. Would it be of any value to a prepper in, in most cases? I guess it's a poor sentence. How valuable would it be to somebody who's looking for a prepper type communication because you're only a couple of miles at 400 megahertz or maybe five miles. If, if there's no obstruction, if there's trees yeah, or yeah. houses or other stuff, yeah. Well, you and... may only be good for blocks. So um, if you're trying to get a hold of your wife who's working somewhere, um, 
Well, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and you know, that, that's the reason that he wants to get into this. He He's kind of a prepper in the background. He's afraid, uh, you know, the, the, the grid's going to go down. He's afraid that everything in the world's going to stop. And he wants this. And I'm telling him, I said, look, this thing's going to be good for two miles. There's not a radio that you can get that you can just pick it up and just talk to your son 30 miles away yeah. easily. You know, I mean, even on ham, gonna... ham radio, is we could do it, but we're going to have to try different bands. We're going to have to... We're going to have to know the time of day. You're going to have to know the frequency for each to be on. I mean, you know, uh, it's, um, it's not that easy, you know. Another thing that seems to come up is when the SH hits the fan. Um, there are a lot of websites dedicated to that. And no offense, but the likelihood of that compared to a tornado, an earthquake, a fire, um, a flood, and, I, and I've been to several of those as a hammer to operator, fires and floods. Um, those are common and fairly likely uh, in some neighbors neighborhoods. So, um, and in, I'm not going to use that word, um, um, where people, I don't know what to say, where people do dumb things, I think that's less likely than a flood, a fire, an earthquake, a tornado, a hurricane, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Hey, hang on just a sec there, Jim. We've got two minutes till we go off a shortwave. I need to make a quick okay. announcement here. Uh, you're listening to Amateur Radio Roundtable, a show about ham radio and shortwave. We're glad you're with us tonight. If you're listening on WBCQ on 7490, uh, join us next Tuesday. Uh, well, hey, join us on our video show Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. on W5KUB. Dot com, or you can hear us on Thursdays, 5 to 7 p.m. on WBCQ 7490, every Tuesday, 7490 at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for joining us. Send me an email if, you, uh, if you're listening to the show. Uh, send it to tom at w5kub.com. And uh, I think I got that in before our, our show goes off. So we're back to talking about a little about prepping and communications, you know. And he asked me, he says, well, what do you think about, what do you think about satellite phones? Should we get satellite phones? And I said, man, I said, you know, you get your satellite phone, it's going to be expensive. You're going to have to pay a monthly fee for it. And I said, hey, you get an EMP attack uh, over the United States, it's probably going to take all the satellites out anyway. So, you know, you know, why have a satellite phone? You know, so I don't know. I don't know. In, in a true dire emergency, we, we have no idea what's going to work and what's not going to work. It's just good to be proficient at everything and, even then, your your immediate concern may not be communicating with somebody far away, so it may not help you anyway. Well, that's true. You know, since I guess we've never really had an EMP, I'm not sure exactly how bad it will be. I'm sure it will be bad, but to to what extent, I don't know. Uh, it's, it supposedly it's going to take out all the computers and all the cars. So if you car if you get a car and, it is, and and my friend my 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 kind of prepper friend he knew this he says yeah if the car is after 1984 it will take it out so okay based on that information if you want your car to run it's got to be 1983 or newer or, or older for that car to run after an EMP guys just just think yeah. about that you need, you need to have an HW101 on the inside that well <laughs> well that that's true that's true there, there will be that'll that'll work there there will be that that yeah. yeah but the the uh the result of that kind of thing happening would be 
incredible because uh, for example i i have an oxygen machine which i'm going to go get on as soon as i get through here um it wouldn't function because it's computer run everything that we have or touch or look at these cameras that i'm using um they're they'd all be destroyed mm, we can't assume that um you know the, the emp is overrated is you know the destructiveness of it is overrated i, I um, think, think it so? is i think yeah. it is but so, but I, I i think it'd be very severe and, and very bad but i don't think it's <laughs> going to wipe the entire united states out i think you'll have pockets of places where things will be okay you know there may be well, there uh, may be people well, behind a mountain uh, behind a mountain that it doesn't even hit unless they do several i, yeah. I don't want to go there yeah. but i was just thinking okay if there are lots of emps at the same time uh if a different uh, i don't know yeah I don't know. yeah it's not going to take out all of your electronics it will probably take out random pieces of gear that happen to be on at the time especially things with antennas on them um but there's no real way of telling it'll probably uh, you know what that's that's a good point it'll probably be like lightning hitting your power lines and, and your phone line and your antennas at the same time do you, Brett, do you think if you shorted the input to a transceiver that, and if there was something like that, that it might be saved from total destruction because you shorted the input? What do it, you think? It might, or the surge might come up the power line and get it anyway. It is yeah. really tell. I do know that I have on my, uh, on my HF radios, I have uh, I have surge protectors that I showed a couple of weeks ago, which actually have EMP in the part number, and are supposed to be able to protect against EMP of some intensity. Those Look, are metal wow. oxide varistors or MOVs or. Um, they are they, they are com combinations of neon tubes and capacitors and inductors. Ah, okay. Will they really work? I don't know. They're they're you know they're they're making the claim, and let's hope we never find out. Um, but you know, again, the, the most important thing is just to be generally resourceful, and uh, yeah. that you know, I, I I think it's not a bad not a bad idea to have your HF radio and your VHF ham radio and your GMRS radio if you're worried about that sort of thing. It, it certainly can't hurt. No. All right, well, guys, All it's right. uh it's about time. We're gonna end the show here. Thanks everybody for being uh, with us tonight. I'm getting EMP, so I'm going to go crawl yeah. underneath the desk. Yeah, all right. Go take care of yourself here. Good night to everybody out there. Thanks for watching tonight. Uh, we really appreciate you being with us. And uh, yeah, Don says, keep some firewood for smoke signals. That may be what we have to go to, smoke <laughs> signals there. 73, yeah. good night to everybody. And we'll, uh, hey, by the way, no show next uh, Tuesday or the next. December 26th, no show. Uh, January 2nd, no show, but we'll be back uh, January 9th. Now, I may try to put some rerun or something on uh, the next two weeks and just play it, but uh, we will not have a live show the next two weeks. So go be with your family, be with them on Christmas, have a good time for, uh, uh, you know, New Year's, and uh, we'll see you in the new year. Good night, everybody. 7-3.